Father, we thank you that we can come to you in every moment of our life. And while we sing these words in here, through it all, my eyes are on you, it is well. We remember that there is a promise that backs that up. We remember that there is a God who has a track record of coming through in those moments when we don't feel like it is well. But we stand here today and we sing together as your sons and daughters through it all. It is well. We thank you and praise you in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning once again. How many of you like me? That was awesome. Thanks, Daryl. I like you too. How many of you like me, comma? Say praise Jesus that fiesta is over. Right? How many of you are in here to repent of what you just did? All right. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> Mom's like, yep, he is. Um, yeah, apparently those people should be here. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, Fiesta, uh, what a wonderful time for our city. Um, I love to see it come, and I love to see it go. You ever been in a bad place, like, like maybe this past week? Um, you're in a valley. You're in like a tough time of life. You're in one of those things, one of those stages of life that you felt like it could not get any worse. Anybody ever, anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had like one of those circumstances in life that it's just gone south for you? There's lots of instances of this in scripture. And, and one of the things that, I mean, that song that we just sang, through it all, it is well. Sometimes when you're in the through, it doesn't feel well, right? I mean, it's like when you're sitting in that valley, it just kind of stinks and you don't want to be there. A couple of weeks ago, I had the honor um, and the privilege to sit with a gentleman and his wife. And um, the man has been given just a couple of weeks to live. And he wants me to do his funeral. And while I know him, and my wife actually grew up with their daughter, I don't really know him. And so he's like, would you come over and sit down with me and my wife and, and talk? Because I want to get to know you. And I want you to get to know me. And I said, absolutely. I'd be honored to. So I went over to their house, and he's still at home. And, um, and I sat down, and we're having this just great conversation, this wonderful conversation. I was just blessed to be in the room with this guy and get to hear his life and his stories and, and what made him who he is. And I got to hear some of the fear and the uncertainty. And I got to look at his wife and see this relationship that was, oh man, amazing. And then he said one of the greatest things I've ever heard. It wasn't him who said it, it was somebody else. This guy, Buckner Fanning. For those of you who are not from around here, haven't been here for a while, Buckner is kind of a pastoral legend in these parts. Um, and he, he's gone now to his reward, but he was an impressive guy and did a lot of stuff for this city, and for me as well um, as a pastor. But one of the things when this couple went through a really big tragedy early in their marriage together, when their kids were very, very young, um, and they're at the hospital. The wife had this horrendous accident. And they're, they're at the hospital. And the husband is there, has no clue 
really where he is, right? When it's when you when you're in that space in that moment, it's just the world is spinning around you. You have no idea what's going on. And Buckner shows up. And he says uh, to this guy, which he relayed to me is the best line I've ever heard is, hey, you're going through the valley. That's what the scripture says. It doesn't say you're going up to the valley. It doesn't say you're going in the valley. It says you're going through the valley. And as he told me this line, I was like, did he turn around and walk out right then? Because that was just awesome. Just like, I'm out, Buckner gone. What an amazing statement that was for this man, because it changed the way he saw everything going on that night. Buckner came in and goes, you're going through the valley. He's like, you're right. Now, it doesn't mean that the valley didn't hurt. It didn't take away the pain and the anguish and the fear and the uncertainty that was going on at that moment. It didn't take away the years and years and years of life change that came because of it. But it gave him hope. What it did was it it filled him with this sense of, wait, you're right. I'm not always going to be here. There's so many instances of that in Scripture. There's so many times of people going through the valley and coming out on the other side. And do you know what always happens when they get to the other side? They're stronger. They have a deeper connection to who God is and to who they are. So you see, the, the times in our valleys, the times when we grow the most into who God wants us to be, are unfortunately those tough times. Those times in the wilderness, those times in the valley. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, that's not, look, I have a very low tolerance for pain and inconvenience. You know, I do. Sorry. I don't like it. I don't like being in the valley. Some of you people are like, oh, we're in the valley. No, nobody likes being in the valley, right? It's a horrible place to be. But then when you come out on the other side, and I know this, I know that, oh, I'm at one. Okay, this is building me. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says when they're working out, oh, I'm going to feel so great in like six months as you start your workout regime. No, it's horrible. Am I right? You know what I'm talking about. When you're going through the valley, the thing is, you're going through the valley. But oftentimes what we do is we get mired down in the valley and we don't remember that we will one day emerge. Oftentimes we find ourselves in these life circumstances and situations, a job change, moving, a sickness, an illness, an affair, an addiction, depression, whatever it is, one of these things, these valleys come along and we find ourselves in it and we have no hope of going, getting out of it. We find ourselves bogged down in the reality of our existence. When what we need to remember is we're going through the valley. In the first book of Samuel, chapter 15, there's this verse right here, 34. Then Samuel went home to Ramah, and Saul returned to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king of Israel. Nice way to end a chapter, isn't it? So what's going on here? 
In this story right here, we, we have Samuel the prophet, who's first, second Samuel, right? And he comes along, and the Lord comes to Samuel at one point and goes, hey, we're going to anoint a king of Israel. Let's go find one. Samuel says, all right, Lord, let's go do this. This is my translation, by the way. And eventually we see um, Saul, this big, strong, strapping, good-looking man, and the Lord's like, he kind of looks like a king. Samuel's like, I agree, that feels like a king to me. Let's anoint him king. So they anoint Samuel, uh, Saul as king. Saul goes on to become this king, becomes super, super powerful. And God goes, okay, here's the plan, Saul. We're going to go, and we're going to kill the Amalekites because, well, they've done horrible things to the people of Israel. I want you to go and to wipe them all out. Man, woman, child, beast, everything. Nothing with a heartbeat remains when you're done. Saul's like, got it. He amasses his army, 200,000 um, soldiers from, uh, from Israel, 10,000 from Judah, and they come together and they march into their territory. They even see a little tribe of people who's been friendly to Israel at one time. They're like, hey, y- y'all better move. And, and so they do because they're like, you were friendly to us once, so y'all get out of the way because we're about to do something. They move, and it says they just burn through this entire region. They capture the, the capital city. They take the king, Agog is his name. And they also take some of the best calves and sheep and goats with them. And the Lord gets angry, real angry. And he tells Samuel, I'm out. I've tried with this guy, but he does not obey me. Go tell him. He's no longer king. Samuel's like, uh, I mean, would you want that job to go up to the king? Hey, remember when I anointed you? That was great. Um, no longer. And then run. Because Saul had a temper. Saul was a little angry. Saul took his, his beloved son, Jonathan, and was ready to kill him. Because Jonathan, during a battle, stooped and got a little honey on the end of his stick and ate it. But Saul had left orders that nobody eats during the battle. Jonathan's like, dude, I was hungry, and I didn't hear your order. And he said, too bad, you're going to die. The people saved Jonathan's life. Saul has this temper. So if you're Samuel, you're coming up, and you're the one who's going to be commissioned, and you have to go tell the king that he's no longer the king. He's not happy about this. But he goes in, he talks to Saul. He's like, Saul, here's the deal. What did God tell you to do? Well, he told us to go wipe out everything. How come I hear cows mooing and sheep bleeding? Like, this is what he says. I love that line. He's like, then why do I hear cows if you killed everything? And Saul's like, oh, well, oh, them. Oh, yeah, no. See, see what had happened was uh, we took the king, and then we took a couple of things. Where we're going to get around to killing them. You know, we're going to make a sacrifice. What we're going to do is we're going to sacrifice these animals to God. And Saul comes back with this huge thing. It's, a, it's like a week-long sermon week of sermons in itself. He says, you're more worried essentially about religion than you are obedience. You're more worried and focused on the practice of this religion than actually believing and obeying God. This isn't who God wants. So you're no longer going to be king. Bring in the king, Agog, to me. And Samuel tells this whole thing, and he gets Agog out, and he's like, hey, because of what you've done, this is going to happen to you. He pulls out a sword and cuts them to pieces. And then he tells Samuel, and then he says these words. He left. He never sees Saul again. Sometime later, God comes back to Samuel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. 
I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So we end with Saul mourning constantly, it says at the end of chapter. These are the words of the Lord, sorry. Thanks be to God. With Saul, um, like, constantly mourning, Samuel constantly mourning for Saul. There's a couple of things that might be going on here, right? He's either mourning the fact that Saul, this one that he anointed that he had chosen, had failed miserably, or, and, he was mourning his failure in this. He was mourning where he went wrong. He was mourning his role in all of this. And he's just bogged down in this mire of self-pity. And he's mourning constantly. We don't know how much time passes, but it says, now sometime later, the Lord comes back to Samuel and says, you've mourned long enough. You've been in the valley long enough. We don't stay in the valley, Samuel. We go through it. If Samuel had been left to his own devices, I, I would bet to say that he would have mourned and just been in his head and been no use to the kingdom of heaven from that point forward. But what God does is God comes in and he's like, okay, we're done. We've had our mourning. Now it's time to go through this valley and to get back to work. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Bethlehem and I want you to anoint the new king. Samuel's like... Well, that sounds like a great idea, God. Um, but Saul's still king, and I don't think he'll like that. So God creates this whole plan. Take a heifer. You'll pretend like you're sacrificing the heifer. That's why you're there in Bethlehem. And then you can just reach out and anoint David. And it's, we'll be good. But Saul's freaking out. But he has God who comes to him and says, no, 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 no. We don't stay in the valley. We go through the valley. I have to tell you... Um, my conversation that I had with this couple the other day is a result of me having been through the valley. And why I say that is, is this. Many years ago, 10, I would have gone into that conversation and been a totally different person. I would have gone into that conversation and I would have had the pastoral conversation. I have been to seminary. I, by that 10 years ago, I had done plenty of funerals. I had sat with people who had died, but I would have gone in there and I would have been emotionally disconnected from them. I wouldn't have cared. And that may sound harsh. It is harsh. But you have to understand that it is because of how I grew up. I grew up in a family who's represented in the room right now. It's awkward. I grew up in a family who is emotionally disconnected. I knew that I was loved, but it didn't come out all the time. I grew up in a family whose older siblings took great pride in torturing me. Kind of in unbelievable ways, really. What I learned was to disconnect myself from situations emotionally. So I'd been to plenty of hospitals, and I, I had sat with a woman as we pulled the plug on life support of her daughter. And I held her hand as she breathed her last. And I prayed with her and I hugged her and I walked out completely unaffected. 
Now, in my job, you could say that's kind of a gift because the amount of things that I have seen, the amount of times I have been with families after the immediacy of this huge tragedy, I could just be a blubbering idiot. I'd come home to Jenna crying all the time, snot everywhere. However, I think that it's better when I walk into those circumstances and I care. See, this last conversation that I had, I got to see this man who is this amazing person, this gentle man who has spent his life being kind to others. That's what he said. He goes, the most important thing thing to me my entire life is to never hurt anyone else. Oh, great way to live. Why have I not sat under your feet before? And I look to his spouse who, because of the accident, isn't all there. And I see this about to be 50 years of marriage coming up in a few months. This relationship that has been huge, this man, this servant who has taken care of her, their, almost their entire marriage together. And I see this woman who, what's going to happen? Does she know, truly know, what's about to go down? And my heart just breaks for them. And I, and I want to just sit there and, and cry with them. We cried a little bit and we laughed and, and I, I learned a ton, not just about him, but about how I want to be. It's through my times in the valley that I can be a better pastor to them, that I can sit there and hold their hands and say, I don't get what you're going through at all. But boy, do I love you. Boy, do I want to be here and just let you, let you come on. It's because of my times in the valley that I am who I am today. Those strength-building things that broke down who I was and raised up who God really intended me to be. And let me tell you, I don't want to bash especially since my parents are in here and they're taking me to lunch. The way I grew up, I had a wonderful childhood. Had I not been through the last 10 years that I've been, I'd be perfectly happy and content being who I was. Let me also tell you that my family's a lot different now. My dad tells me he loves me all the stinking time. I'm like, I get it. But it is through those times in the valley. Samuel had God come to him and say, Samuel, we don't go in the valley, we go through the valley. I had people who came to me and surrounded me. And for a while they walked with me in the valley. I said, we don't understand what you're going through. But we love you and we're going to walk with you. At some point, they started encouraging me. Hey, it's time to go through the valley. We don't stay here. Let's go through the valley. 
those friends, those many of you in this room who surrounded us during this, those times, who helped us become who God was longing for us to be. Those are the people that we need. Because I, I would bet to say that all of you have been in a valley at some point or other in your life. All of you have been suffering in some way. And a lot of times when you're in the valley, it feels like there's no other place but that valley. It feels like that mourning that you're going through, that hurt, that anguish, that pain, that fear, is the only thing that exists. We need those people to say, no, no, no. We go through the valley. We don't need them to say, and you'll be stronger when you get on the other side. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear things while they're in the valley like, you know, your child died because God has a special place for them in heaven and there was just ready for them to be there. Don't say that. Maybe that's true. But when you're in the valley, no, 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 no. That's when you just come alongside him and say, I love you. Let me walk with you. If you're in a valley right now and you don't have those people surrounding you that say, let me walk with you. Come see us. Come, come talk to me and to Daryl. Come talk to any one of our prayer ministers. Let us surround you in the love of this community saying, when you're in this valley, you're not alone because we've all been in the valley before. If, you have, if you're out of a valley... Be that person who reminds and who loves and who says we're going through. Is that Teddy? No, it's awesome. Dude, Teddy's a rock star. He can do whatever he wants in this. Love Teddy. That's great. Ah, Teddy. I was getting too emotional anyway, Grace. Thank you. Teddy just brought me through the valley. If y'all haven't met Teddy, by the way, Teddy Barrios, coolest kid in this place. Um, you need to meet him. We're going to baptize him soon. I'm excited. Um, there's the ADD kicking in. Worship team, come on up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the moments of joy and celebration and triumph that we have in our life. For those days when we feel your presence because things are glorious. We thank you too, Father. It seems weird to even say it. For those gifts of pain, those dark nights, those moments of struggle. For as your sons and daughters, we know that you are walking there with us. We know that this valley isn't our existence, but that one day we will come through the valley. And experience your presence in a deeper way. May we have the strength during those times of our journeys in the valley to remember your love. May we have the courage to be people who surround our brothers and sisters in love. To walk with them. To stay with them. And to help them through the valley.
We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.